0: So, the Torah commands us that when we live in the land of Israel, we should work the land for six years and rest the land on the seventh year. We're not allowed to work the land. That is called Shemitah. This past year, 5782, was a Shemitah year according to our historic counting. Um, this past year was a Shemitah year, and farmers in the land of Israel let their lands rest and did not work the lands this past year. The very end of the Torah, in a portion that we read two weeks ago, the Torah tells us that following the Shemitah year, when the seven-year cycle starts again, so we essentially starting this Rosh Hashanah when the year started, we not only started the year, but we restarted the seven-year cycle. Of Shemitah, so when this seven-year cycle start, starts again, so two weeks into the cycle, all of Israel will gather in Jerusalem or at the temple, wherever the temple is, for the Sukkot pilgrimage. The Torah commands us that for the three festivals—Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot—all Jews must come to—all Jews in Israel must come to Jerusalem and gather in the temple for the festivals for Passover, for Shavuot and Sukkot. So in the and the year following the Shemitah year, the first year of the new seven year cycle, when two weeks into that year is gonna be the festival of Sukkot, when all of Israel are gonna gather in the temple for the temple pilgrimage, then on the festival of Sukkot, everyone should gather together at the temple to hear the Torah being read for the entire nation. This is a mitzvah called Hakel, or gathering. It took place every seven years when the Temple stood. All of Israel would come to the pilgrimage and everybody would, men, women, and children, and everybody would stand, would come to the temple on Sukkot at the same time, and they would all stand in the temple or in the area around the temple, and they would have this massive event where they would read the Torah for everyone. This is the only mitzvah that applies not only to men, the pilgrimage was a requirement for men, and presumably many women would stay home. To, to care for the farm, care for the farm animals. So many women presumably would stay home. Some maybe went, some didn't. It was only a requirement for men to the pilgrimage. But on Sukkot, women had, on, for the Hakel gathering, women had to come as well. And not only women had to come, all children had to come. Generally, children are exempt from the commandments of the Torah, except for the commandment of education, to educate, to teach our children. But other than that, children are generally exempt from all commandments. Here it is a mitzvah to bring all children, even babies, even infants, newborns, everyone should be brought to the temple. As everyone is brought to the temple and then the Jewish leader or the king when they had a monarchy would read parts of the Torah for all the people. Now, we believe that the hakel event took place every seven years from when they entered the promised land and settled it and started counting the Shemitah years Um, It took place every seven years when there was a temple in Shiloh. So in the days of Joshua, right after they conquered the land, they first built a semi-permanent temple at Shiloh, um, which is in the center of Israel and near the city of Shechem. Uh, The ruins of that temple still are there today. You could visit them. Um, At least what we think of the ruins. And um, so every seven years they would gather at Shiloh all the people and the leader of Israel would read the Torah in front of all the people. And then every and then after the temple at Shiloh was destroyed, then some years later the temple in Jerusalem was built by King Solomon, the first temple. Again there was a monarchy throughout the first temple. Every seven years all of Israel that were able to would gather in um, Jerusalem and the king would read the Torah. Um, and then that lasted throughout the first temple period. Then the first temple was destroyed. The second temple was rebuilt. Um, was rebuilt in the days of Cyrus, um, King Cyrus of Persia. And uh, when the second temple was built, all Jews in the land of Israel would again gather every seven years, and the leader would lead from the would read from the Torah for all of the people. So this happened every seven years. The Talmud gives us description of how the HaKel event took place. Presumably this is in the later period of the Second Temple, um, when people who wrote the Midrashim had actually lived and would have observed it, and they were kind of describing a first-hand description of what they had seen. So it would take place during the pilgrimage when all of Israel would come to Jerusalem for the Sukkot pilgrimage, right? The Sukkot, again, was one of three pilgrimages each year. Now, this event would take place on the second day of Sukkot. The first day of Sukkot was a Yom Tov. Outside of Israel, we keep two days Yom Tov. We once did a class when we explained why, outside of Israel, we keep a second day of each holiday. We add another day. Um, we once did a class explaining that. But in Israel, they keep one day of Yom Tov. Outside of Israel, we keep two days each Yom Tov. So outside of Israel, we so in Israel, they only had one day of Yom Tov, of the holiday of Sukkot. So all the people would gather at the temple on the second day of Sukkot. If the second day of Sukkot was Shabbat, then they would wait till after Shabbat, um, and they would wait for them the third day of Sukkot, um, which is, again, it's no longer Yom Tov. So in the morning, first thing in the morning, it says, all the Cohenim would get golden trumpets um, and they would uh, fan out across Jerusalem and they would blow these trumpets as a symbol to gather the nation together. And every single Kohen in Israel was there in Jerusalem and would have a trumpet. Make sure to get a trumpet beforehand. The Talmud says a Kohen without a trumpet was assumed that they were not a Kohen. In other words, if you didn't have a trumpet, then that means you weren't a real Kohen. Every real Kohen had a trumpet and they would walk all around Jerusalem blowing these trumpets, make a lot of noise, and it was a symbol that everybody should gather in the temple courtyard. So everyone, all of Israel would make their way to the temple courtyard, bringing with them everybody, all the children would come, the infants, newborns, everybody would be brought to this temple courtyard, to the temple. It's not clear that all of Israel even fit in the temple. We know in the later days of the second temple, the pilgrimage was well over a million people would be in, you know, or millions of people. So um, it's not clear they even fit in the temple courtyard. They may have had to be in the, around the temple mount. There was a kind of open area around the temple mount. They spread out. But um, they all made their way there. There in the center of the temple courtyard, they erected a very large wooden platform so that the reader of the Torah would be able to stand on top of the platform high up so that everyone should see them. So the king, when there was a monarchy, or the leader perhaps, when there was no monarchy, would then go up on the ramp. Um, There was a ramp going up because you're not allowed to have steps in the temple, so there would have been a ramp going up to the platform. So the leader or the king would go up the ramp on top of the platform, and they would sit down. Now only kings from the house of David, the Talmud says, are allowed to sit in the temple courtyard. Everybody else would stand. If it was a leader who was not the king from the house of David, they would have to stand as well. So they would then read from the Torah. Um, They would then read from the Torah. During the first temple period, while the temple stood at Shiloh, the temporary semi-permanent temple, and later during the first temple in Jerusalem period, they would read from the original Torah that had been written by Moses. Moses wrote the first Torah. All, all Torahs were copied from that original Torah. That first original Torah sat inside the Ark of the Covenant, together with the tablets that Moses had brought down from Mount Sinai. They, if they ever were unsure about something, they could always check the original Torah. Um, We have a description in the Book of Kings of King Yoshiahu reading to all the people from the Torah of Moses um, that had been hidden and found and so um, some say perhaps that was a hakel event when he read from the Torah of Moses before um, all the people it was at this particular event the king would read um, to the people. Toward the end of the second of the first temple period King Yoshiyahu Hit, uh, was told a prophecy that the destruction was coming soon, and so he did not want the enemies of Israel to get their hands on the original Torah and the Ark of the Covenant, and so he hid it all under the temple, and it has not been found since. It remains there somewhere hidden below the temple, the Temple Mount. So after that, they would just use a any Torah from the Temple Synagogue during the late First Temple after the Original Torah was hidden, and during the Second Temple period, they would use a temple from the uh, they would use a Torah from the temple synagogue. So now the Talmud describes the way it was done, at least um, in the late Second Temple period, where there was, of course, during the Second Temple, synagogues began um, at the early Second Temple period. Um, led by Ezra and the men of the Great Assembly were the ones who created the prayer system and synagogues that we now have. Uh, we've done a class where we spoke about how synagogues were invented um, or where they came from. So, um, and prayers so during the second temple period, where there were synagogues in every community, there was, of course, a synagogue on the temple, in the temple as well, a place to pray. So the synagogue in the temple, of course, had Torahs, and there was a gabai, or a person who was in charge of the responsible, a lay leader, a president, somebody responsible for the temple synagogue, they would be the ones to take the... Torah itself was an honor, they would hand it to the skan koin or the deputy high priest, who would then hand it to the high priest, who would then hand it to the king or the leader who's going to read the Torah on top of the podium. So the king then takes the Torah and sits down, if he's a king from the house of David, uh, and he would then begin to read the Torah. Before he read the Torah, similar to what we do now when someone gets an aliyah, when someone gets called up to the Torah in the synagogue, they begin with the blessing. Baruch <laughs> Hashem, asher bachar mikol who chose us from all the nations and gave us the Torah. So we, he would begin by making this blessing. Now originally those blessings that were made when a person got an aliyah called up to the Torah, each person who was called up to the Torah would read the Torah themselves. They would make the blessing and then they would read the Torah. That was the Aliyah, you would get to read the Torah. Over time, people weren't as well educated, and it happened that a lot of people in the synagogue did not know how to read the Torah. So they didn't, couldn't get an Aliyah. So then they said, you know, we'll designate a Torah reader, and people will just make the blessings. And the Torah reader will read. But initially, during Temple period, that's the way it was done, where everyone knew how to read the Torah, and everyone would read the Torah, make the blessings and read the Torah themselves. So here the king makes the blessing and reads the Torah himself. Yes, Karen? Since it was required for all men, women, and children to be there, couldn't all of them get there? No, it was only, the only person who got this aliyah was the king, or the person who was reading the Torah. One person would read the Torah, and this was the leader. Oh, the were- leader of Israel, nobody was called up. Oh. The leader of Israel would read it, and he would make the blessing before him. Nobody else got to read it. So, um, then he would read from Deuteronomy, he would firstly read a section from part of the portion of Va'etchanan, which goes through the basics of the Torah, um, the basics of Jewish belief, the Ten Commandments, and concludes with the Shema, the sh- first paragraph of the Shema. He then would read the second paragraph of the Shema, which is found in the portion of Akev. Then he would read from the par- parasha of Re'ei. He would read, all, all in Deuteronomy, all in the last book of the Torah, Devarim. He would then read um, a portion that speaks about tithes, and um, for all the farmers would know what to, should know what to do. And then he would read the portion about the festivals, it was the festival of Sukkot, and then he would um, continue with the portion of Kitavo, which speaks of all the good things that will happen if we follow God's commandments, and all the terrible things that ha- will happen if we fail to follow God's commandments. And so he would read all of those things. It would be a very, very long parsha It is much, much longer than a regular parsha that we read. This would take a significant amount of time. Now, it's not clear that everyone was even even able to hear him. You had a gathering of a million more, many millions of people standing together. They They could probably see him because he was very high up. They could see him from a distance, but chances are that they couldn't even hear him even if everyone was babies, too, making noise. But it was the event that counted. It wasn't just that they needed to hear it. Uh, Most people could not hear. Um, In fact, the Talmud speaks of synagogues that were so large that people couldn't hear. In Alexandria, it was such a large synagogue, people couldn't hear from one end to the other, and they had a flag they would wave when it was time to answer Amen. They would wave the flags. Everyone knew to answer Amen. So, um, but... In, um, but it, presumably most people could not hear it, and yet everybody would come just to stand there and be there at this amazing event. He would then conclude by reciting eight blessings. This is during the Second Temple period. Um, he would recite the blessing after the Aliyah, Asher Nat Baruch Hashem, Elokeinu Asher Natan O Thank and bless you, God, who gave us the true Torah. He would then recite the Ritzay blessing, which we say every day in our Amidah, in our silent prayer, Ritzay Hashem lokeinu, Bamcha Yisrael, God. Um, accept your nation Israel, and it's is a, a blessing to accept the service in the temple. Today, we no longer have the temple, we've adjusted the words asking God to accept our prayers. And that initially it was a blessing to accept the service in the temple. Then he would say, The modem blessing, Modim anach no lach. We thank you, God. It's a blessing of thanks. Then he would say, The Atta you have chosen us from all the nations, which is a blessing that we recite in the Amidah of the festivals, in the festive Amidah that we're going to recite over Sukkot. Then he would recite a blessing asking God to protect the temple. He would recite a blessing asking God to protect the Jewish monarchy. This is when there was a monarchy. He would, uh, he would say a special prayer for the Kohanim, asking God to protect the Kohanim and accept their service in the temple. And then he would finish with a blessing, asking God to listen to the prayers of his people. So eight blessings in total. So everybody stood there at this event, millions of people, um, and likely most people didn't hear it, they could see... And they were part of the awe of the event. It was a powerful experience, standing with millions of people together in the temple as the leader of Israel is reading from the Torah. In the early days, the original Torah scroll, later from a Torah, but reading from the what is the purpose of this mitzvah? So the Torah tells us very clearly what the purpose of this mitzvah is. It says, That they listen, that they learn to fear God, be in awe of God, and keep the Torah all the days. In other words, this is supposed to be an awe-inspiring event that will inspire us and... Um, push us to recommit to the Torah and keep the Torah's commandments over the coming seven years until the next one. So every seven years, essentially, we gathered together um, to hear the Torah being read as a, as a nation to be inspired once again to follow the Torah. In a sense, This event was similar to what happened at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, all of Israel gathered, millions of people gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai, and we heard God say the Ten Commandments. Here, all of Israel gathers together in the Temple for the leader of Israel to read the Torah in front of everyone, essentially a reminder of the event at Sinai, of how we committed then to the Torah. It's in order to inspire us and for us to recommit to the Torah once again. This happened at the beginning of the sabbatical cycle, the Shemitah cycle, the seven-year cycle, so that we know as we head back to our fields in regular life after a sabbatical, we had a year vacation, a year off of work. where well, we, The agrarian, the farmers did not work. Now we commit to follow God's commandments once again over the coming seven years. The Rebbe took this a step further and explained that the hakel was always in the year following the Shemitah cycle. During the Shemitah year, every six six years they would work their fields, and the seventh year you had to let your fields lie fallow. And what are you gonna eat? God says, don't worry, I will take care of you. Don't worry, God. everything you have comes from God anyway. God will take care of you. Not only that, the reason why God has given us, placed us here on earth, why he has created us, is not to work our fields. It's to follow his commandments. So remember, you could go without working the fields for a year. Your primary purpose is to follow his commandments. He wants you to also work the fields. Some of the commandments involve the fields. Various ties, various mitzvahs involving agrarian-related mitzvahs. But the primary reason why we're here is to serve God. So we need to remember that. So therefore, the hakel gathering at the end of the sabbatical year reminds us God is in control of everything. We only succeed with his help. So rather than being focused on gaining material success, which we cannot control our successes, our primary focus should be on following God's commandments, the purpose he created us. Now, of course, God will not let us succeed if we don't do our part. If we don't work, we need to work as well. Without our, us doing our part, without us working, God will not allow us to succeed. But it's important to remember where our success comes from. Our hard work is only a necessity, is only a factor that is needed in order to succeed. It's not the primary source of our success. The primary source of our success is from Hashem. So when you, before you go back to your fields, after a year vacation, after a year sabbatical of relying on God, God says, I want you to remember, it's all from me. Not only that, remember why you're here, remember your purpose. You don't live in order to build a big house. You don't live in order to buy nice cars. You're not alive in order to play golf or in order to tour the world. That is not why God placed you on earth. That is not the purpose for which you were born. Every person we believe who was born was born for a purpose. Everyone has a purpose. In a big house. It's not to live in a big house. And it's not to wear designer clothing. And it's not to play golf. And it's not to have a car. And it's not for any any of, of the above, and it's not to have a big bank account or to play the stock market, or for any of the above reasons or similar reasons that people come up with, or to run marathons. The purpose for which God created us is to fulfill his will by following his commandments. That is why he created us. So remember, all of these things are only a means to an end. Of course you need to work, because God wants you to work in order to follow his commandments. But that is only a necessity. You only need to do it by necessity, but it is not your primary purpose. Just one of many things you have to do. You need to eat, you need to sleep, you need to work, you need to relax, you need to stay healthy, you need to exercise. Those are things that you need to do in order to live, but why are you alive? You're alive in order to follow God's commandments. That's why you're alive. That's what you're living for. And so the purpose of the hakel event was not only to help us remember and inspire us to follow God's commandment, the Rebbe explains, but also to remember how everything comes from Hashem and ultimately what our, before we go back to our fields, what our real purpose, we go back to work, what our real purpose is. Don't get carried away. You've got to work the fields. But don't get carried away. Don't think if you'll spend extra time in the fields instead of praying or studying. Or if you keep everything for yourself without helping those in need don't think it'll make you more successful it won't because you need god is the primary source of your success so you need god's part you need god to do his part and if you don't make god happy he's not going to do his part and regardless that's not why you're here you're not here to be wealthier or to get a better crop or to um, get more land you're here in order to for the farmers that is you're here in order to follow god's commands Now, it was not enough, it was not enough for each person to remain at home and try to inspire themselves to follow God's commandments, to recommit to the Torah as we stood at Sinai, kind of reimagine the way we all stood at Sinai. It wasn't even enough for people to go to the local synagogue to hear the rabbi give a sermon and speak about how you'll read the Torah, and speak about how you need to focus on God and on his Torah and on his commandments. Hakel, meaning gathering, meant that everyone, the entire nation, had to gather together in one place at the temple, which is really a replay of what happened when we received the Torah. God didn't go over to every individual and say, here are the Ten Commandments, let me share them with you. Rather Moses brought the entire people together to Mount Sinai and gave us the Torah together as a group, as a nation. God said gave us all the Torah. He made a covenant with us as a people, not as individuals, the covenant was made as a people, as a group. In the same way. When we stood every seven years at the Hakel gathering and the leader of Israel read the Torah at the temple and everyone stood to be re-inspired and recommit to God and to God's commandments and God's Torah. It wasn't every person doing it alone. We had to stand together as an entire nation together with our leader reading from the Torah. We stood as an entire nation. Why? Why? Because when God gave us the Torah and chose us as a nation, he didn't choose us as individuals. He chose us as a people. We are not God's chosen individual, but God's chosen people. The Torah was given not to us as individuals, but to us as a people, as a community. Judaism is not for an individual or not only for an individual, but for the community. So in other words, it's not for me to follow the Torah. It's not enough that I sit at home and I study Torah myself and I follow all the commandments myself, but rather we need to be part of a community, part of a group, part of a larger nation of Jews that follow, study Torah together, that follow God's commandments together in that each of us are responsible not just for ourselves and our own commitment to Torah, but we are responsible for the commitment of every other person. Moses says you are all in Parshat Nitzavim, we read it a few weeks ago, you are all responsible for each other. Your covenant is for all of you as a nation. It's not just my problem that I should follow God's commandments, it's my problem or my concern that every single member of God's people follow God's commandments. We are tied to God in a covenant as a people, as a group, as a nation. It reminds us that we are not just individuals, we are part of a kahal, part of a kahila, part of a community. So Judaism is not just for the individual, it is for a community. And that is why at Sinai we gathered together as a nation, making a covenant with God together as a nation. God gave us the Ten Commandments as a nation. And at Hakel, we gathered together as a nation to be inspired as a nation. Of course, it's very inspiring when you're standing millions of people together, but to be inspired as an entire nation. And to recognize that we are all in this together. We are a community that are in a covenant together as a nation with God. All responsible for each other to ensure that all of us follow God's covenant. That's why throughout Jewish history, Jews did not just live alone and kind of do their own thing. But we lived as a community. We lived as part of a community, part of a group. Uh, So since the destruction of the temple almost 2,000 years ago the hakel event for the entire nation where everyone gathered at the temple and the leader of Israel read the Torah no longer took place. We haven't done it since the destruction of the temple which is almost 2,000 years ago. Yet we still count Shemitah years. We didn't actually observe Shemitah years for a very long time. There were no Jewish farmers in Israel. From We don't know exactly when, at least probably around the 300s, there were no more Jewish farmers in Israel due to persecution um, until modern Zionist movement in the late 19th century. There were no Jewish farmers, we didn't keep all the agrarian laws. We still counted Shemitah. We still counted the seven years and we still kept the seven years and uh, we still continue to count it. but it wasn't widely observed. Um, but now, of course, we do have farms, land of Israel, observing Shemitah. Uh, but we still don't have the temple to observe the hakel for everyone to get together gather together. However, in recent decades, there's been a movement to recreate not the hakel itself, the gathering, because it no longer exists, but at least a zeicher, a remembrance for hakel. In the land of Israel, um, starting already before the creation of the modern state of Israel, um, Jews would gather together at the Kotel, the Western Wall, the closest we could get to the Temple, where the leader, a leader of Israel, would read the Torah. They still do that today in Israel. Um, This coming Tuesday, the second day of Yom of Sukkot, first day of Chol Hamoed in Israel, they will have a very large gathering at the Kotel, um, where I believe the president of Israel will read the um, Torah in front of many, many Jews, I don't know if everyone gathers there, it is not the same as the original hakel, which is a mitzvah that only applies when the temple stood, but it is at least a zecher, a commemoration of the hakel. But the Rebbe encouraged that we should bring this back even if we cannot go to Jerusalem. And realistically, we're not going to go to Jerusalem for Sukkot to all gather together. We should bring this back within our own communities. Because Hakel, the year of gathering, (laughs) is a time for each of us to be re inspired, as they did at that great gathering at the temple, and to recommit to the Torah. It's time for us to recognize, as they did then, that rather than focusing on our material needs and success, remember why God created us. To remember that our responsibility to Judaism is not just a responsibility for ourselves, but a responsibility to the entire Jewish nation. That we are responsible for every Jew around us. So while we no longer can gather in the Temple, because the Temple no longer stands, and Jewish law even forbids us from going up on the Temple Mount, the Rebbe encouraged us that we should, on Sukkot, but throughout this year, we should gather locally, in groups, to study Torah groups, and to inspire each other. We can each make our own hakel gatherings throughout the year. We can do that by if we have existing classes, Torah study classes, as we have here Sunday mornings, invite your friends. Invite other people to come join the Torah class. Come study with us, study in groups together so we don't only observe Judaism or study alone. Um, create our own Torah classes. We can do it today. It is very easy to create a Torah class. You can. There is so much available, so much information available, books, online, podcasts, video, Um Where anyone can give their own Torah class, or if anyone wants, um, if anyone would like, I'd be happy to. Come teach a class if anyone wants to make their own, organize their own gathering of Jews, hakel gathering, bringing Jews together to study Torah. I'd be happy to join um, and help out and um, and give a class if anyone would like. Um, gather together. Um, invite people to existing classes. Make your own classes inspirational gatherings. Everyone can, the Rebbe would say, and should make their own hakel events, their own gathering events, um, whether in their homes, whether in local Um, uh, in in nearby locations and gather Jews together to study Torah to be inspired because this is the year of gathering where we should not only follow the Torah as individuals but join together as groups, as large groups, to gather together in order to be inspired, study Torah, and recommit to the Torah together.